Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast, where the best in the business bring you the best in fitness, nutrition, wellness, and overall, making you the best athlete of all time. We're host Coach P and his fellow coaches, Kayla, Destiny, Jen, and Ian, take you on a path to greatness. Let's get on with our guest and let's have a great time. Let's roll. Welcome back to the Evolved Athlete Podcast. We are starting to get in gear with getting our guests back in control. And we're going to start off with a great one, which is my fellow colleague and coach, Miss Destiny, is here. We're going to kick some ass talking all about weight loss. But before we do so, we're just going to talk about life. Destiny, how you been? Been good. Super busy, but uh, a little bit overwhelmed at times. But something that I always tell myself when I get overwhelmed is you ask to eat. Don't complain when your plate gets full. <laughs> wow, that's such a good way to put that. Hard tough love. I like um, giving it to yourself, but hey, you you want to be successful, you want to be busy, you want to reach all these goals. It it takes work. Now, around the time when we went to Evolve Ganza together, and you had talked about being doing a cut and all these things, where where are you currently in your training journey? So I was actually maintaining from there. I had started dieting back in March um, for summer. Just wanted to look good um, for, you know, being outside, um, especially being in Florida. You're always in some sort of bathing suit. Um, and I had maintained really easily um, from the middle of March up until about probably end of July. And then I started to work my calories back up, stopped tracking as much. Um, life got busy, wasn't able to train as much. So I gained about five or six pounds from there. Um, and I do have a bunch of events coming up at the end of October, early November that I also want to look good for. So I'm starting to track my macros again, not really dieting yet, just cleaning things up, um, understanding how much I'm intaking, uh, being precise again, and then incorporating a little bit of cardio as I finish studying for uh, my NASM test. So I'm kind of uh, uh, oh, you're, you're, you're getting ready to do your NASM. All right. Yes. That's exciting. Cool. I actually, I taught the class forever on how to prep for that exam. So if you, oh. if you ever need to <laughs> shoot the shit, ask me questions, I got you. Um, but, but that's awesome. And I'm curious, like when, when you do prep phases, like you're already lean as it can be already, how long does it usually take? How much time do you set for yourself when you know you're going to be doing a really, really good cut where you're going to get down to potentially stage ready? How, how long does that look like for you? What's the length of the process? I um, have put in the work to really build my uh, metabolism. So I am fortunate and um, dedicated enough to where I lose a good amount of body fat easily. Um, my my meat is high. I make sure that I focus on a diet and whole foods. So um, my digestive expenditure is relatively high. Um, just making sure that I'm tracking all my variables. So for stage ready, I could be stage ready um, from here, probably eight weeks. I wow. Could be, yeah. Um, I could be festival ready, which is what I'm kind of planning for in about four. So just I, I can take it very gradually. I'm about seven weeks out right now from what I want to be ready for. So again, just cleaning things up, nothing really aggressive. Um, I'll probably get myself down to like maybe 1800 calories lowest and I'll be at the body composition that I want. And then I'll slowly reverse up, pull out my cardio and I can maintain there pretty easily. Absolutely love that this is what we're starting with because this is exactly how you and I would normally start anyone's weight loss phase is try to figure out, hey, we got to build up that metabolism. And I, I'm very much like you where over the years, I mean, I've been doing this now for 
shit, <laughs> probably 16 years myself and have been blessed to have done the hard work to build up that metabolism now to where I lose weight eating 2,400 calories. Like it's mm-hmm. awesome. Like I I'm doing it now. So like when I feel like <laughs> when Kayla sent us those pictures from Evolve Kansas, I was looking at myself and I was like, Oh God, dear God, just I'm no. down with the, down with the thickness. That's probably <laughs> the heaviest I've been in such a long time. And I, <laughs> I do blame you know, being in love so much with my fiance for that because we were just partying <laughs> nonstop. We got engaged and then just didn't stop. <laughs> we yeah. just celebrated every weekend. Um, and so and I, I love her to death, but you know, her and her came together and because we love fitness and health. We're like, we got, we got to get back on gear. Yeah. Um, and so I can't be 218. That's cheese. Um, and so I, I've already started cutting down and I just took my calories down to 2400 and just started tracking again. I'm already down to 211. Like, and, and oh. it's only, it's only been six weeks and I'm just like, this is, yep. All right. We're getting it back. And so my goal is to do a lot. I have a lot to lose though. So for it to get ready, not only for the wedding, but just for myself to feel good mm-hmm. again. Um, so I'm probably going to, my goal is to get back down to 190. So a good 30 pounds. So that'll take me, I already gauged it out to where I'll stop and do a maintenance phase in December, which will be the perfect time to do a maintenance phase, probably get down to 205 by then, take four weeks off back to maintenance. And then in January, get right back at it and then do the rest all the way leading up to the wedding. So a good 20, 25 weeks or so. And so with all that in mind, and that sounds awesome that you're getting after it and that you've worked so hard to build up our, your metabolism. Today's big topic, talking all about the weight loss journey. And for our, our listeners who are engaged with us here today, you know, with with Destiny and I working for Evolve and doing all the things we do for our athletes, you know, we get questions constantly about how, how do we start a weight loss journey? How do we really do our best to set our clients and athletes up for success? And there's so many things that go into this. And I think starting right with the point that, hey, your metabolism has to be in the right place if you're going to be successful. And so I just talked to one of my newest uh, athletes, Humberto. He's awesome. Um, and he's actually did it on his own for a while to where he's now down, but Destiny listen to this he's down to like eating no more than 1300 calories and he i'm just like oh oh stop and so and he's he's hit a hard plateau and so i'm like oh okay well now you're coming to me to help you get out of the plateau we're not worried about dieting right now we got to get your metabolism back up and so you know let's talk about how you and I first approach weight loss journeys and what we usually do for the individual. What are, what are the first steps that you do when you meet with a client for the first time and they say, Destiny, I want to lose weight. And let's do it from both perspectives. Let's do it from someone who is doing weight loss for the first time versus someone who exactly like we just talked about where their metabolism is absolutely shot. Where do you usually start? Um, I, I don't really have a differentiation between the two. Um, I need to first start by assessing their metabolic readiness. Is your body in a point that we can diet from? If we want to have a successful dieting phase, it needs to be um, to a point where we have levers to pull. If you're already doing 45 minutes of cardio a day, eating 1,300 calories, where, where do we go from there? How do we go down further um, without absolutely sabotaging your health? We can't. So um, for someone who knows that they've been chronically under eating and doing a certain amount of cardio because they've been tracking, I at least have that data there so that we can um, assess what maintenance calories were, would be and then work up so we can build that maintenance. Um, 
So like the only difference from someone like that and someone who's never dieted before, someone who's never dieted before, we need to find out where their current maintenance is. So I would do a baseline setting week. Um, I would have them, and this is the only time I'd ask someone to do this, but I would ask them to weigh themselves every day and track their food for about seven to 10 days and make sure that our, our weight stays consistent. So we've actually found your true maintenance calories. If you're tracking all of this food that you haven't previously and you're losing weight, we're not at maintenance. That's a deficit. If you're tracking all this food that you haven't previously and you're gaining weight, that's not maintenance. That's a surplus. So we have to kind of play around a little bit to find what true maintenance is. And then we bring them up from there. I love that you do that. And that's actually the the tactic that was used on me the first time I was taken through this process myself, but my first actual coach who knew what they were doing. And he did exactly that. He's like, we're doing no science right now. We just need to figure out where you are currently um, with just old school writing shit down and tracking it. And so, and I was like, really, that's what we're going to do. And so, but now that I've had a chance to be in the industry for a long time, see what works versus what doesn't. And even reading common scientific uh, like bodybuilding textbooks by Dr. Eric Helms, The Muscle and Nutrition Pyramid, which I'm actually using for class now um, to teach my bioenergetics class, to teach my students how to be nutrition coaches, which is phenomenal. You'd love it. But it, they, it's the exact same thing. He's like, to find your true maintenance, sure, you can use the Heritage Benedict equation or the Mifflin St. Jor, but it's not, it's not going to be individualized. And so sometimes just giving someone a journal and tracking for two weeks is the best way to go about it. So I think that's a phenomenal approach and love that you start that way. Now, just to a little pause on this before we take it to the next step on what comes next in the weight loss journey. You know, there's a lot, and I'd love to hear your personal experience with this, especially being in bodybuilding and going through multiple cut phases. When it comes to the science behind reverse dieting, there are some people in the camps that say, Reverse dieting is absolutely needed and necessary, taking calories up week by week, very, very slowly. But then you'll have individuals in the other camp that are like, just go up to maintenance. What are you wasting your time for? Get up to a healthier body fat percentage so that you can start normalizing hormones again. And so, and I'm in, I'm in both camps. It's hard because you'll see, you'll see some research that says, yes, there's no difference between doing a long 16 week reverse diet and just going right up to their maintenance again. But then at the, at the same time, there's people who do that and you see this huge ass rebound if it's not done correctly. So I, I am dying to know where you are in this camp when it comes to this. Cause you, we've all talked about it before at evolve. So in my mind, you don't have to reverse up to maintenance. You have a maintenance. You're coming up from a deficit. At this point, you were losing weight. And then you have to calculate or kind of educated guess where you would be to stop losing weight and not gain weight. You don't need to be reversed up to that. That's inherent. Um, you need to be reversed up to a strong maintenance space where you can actually function properly. You have energy, you're sleeping well, you're performing well, your digestion is good, you're optimizing hormones. That might need to be reversed up to. But a true maintenance doesn't actually need to be reversed up to because that is a current state. You're either in a deficit, maintaining, or reversing. Those calories all look different. So if you're coming down from a deficit, you just need to come up to maintenance to flatline, and then you begin the reverse and maintain that maintenance. That maintenance increases. I love that take on it. And I think that's the first time I've heard it explained in that way, besides how we talk about it at Evolve, that I think a lot of people need to really see that perspective, that a reverse diet isn't so much you're coming back to recover after the diet. It's 
this is how we get our maintenance higher. And so I absolutely love that explanation of it because it's a really easy way to understand it that I think a lot of times people in the science just get so caught up in all the scientific jargon bullshit that people don't understand what they're saying or when they need to do these things. Um, so I think that's an incredible way to look at that. And I know we're kind of getting ahead and talking about this at the beginning, but you and I both know when we work with people, sometimes they just don't know where maintenance is. And I think that's a really, really important distinction. So incredible. All right. Part one, we start with our maintenance. We figure out where they're eating naturally. Now, the biggest thing that I've started to run into as well, and I think this is a great educational piece, is how do you teach your clients how to start tracking appropriately? Because we, we've been running into a lot of these things lately where people who are brand new to eating healthy or brand new to tracking whole foods and brand new to realizing potential issues that could be coming from tracking because the first thing that I've run into a lot lately is I'm doing everything you're telling me to do, but I'm not seeing changes occur on the scale. What is your experience with this? So I actually got a new athlete recently who um, has not been tracking um, eating out a lot and a lot of their calories will come from one meal. Um, the majority of their calories are coming from one meal at the end of the day. So I've had her send me multiple days of everything that she's eating throughout the day so that I can get an understanding of, all right, what does her total caloric intake look like? Because while she might not be eating a large volume of food, she's eating a lot of food that's going to be much more dense in calories. So from there, I assess, okay, what is, what would I, what would I put someone who has a pretty healthy um, and intense uh, inherent knowledge of what's in different foods? Because I've been tracking for so long. Um, just as a side note, the reason I like tracking versus meal plans is it really teaches you what's in your food. You can give someone a meal plan yep. and while they may be able to follow it, they know nothing outside of what is on that piece of paper. So they don't have skills to actually take into real life situations where they're not on a plan. So just a side note there, um, tracking teaches you so much about how to properly navigate life situations and what's in your food. So through years of this, doing it for clients and myself, I was able to estimate that a deficit for her would be about 1900 calories and she's not used to tracking yet. So I'm not going to throw full fat, carb, protein at her. That's extremely overwhelming right now. Let's just working on getting you into a protein range and a calorie range and just getting food into the food diaries, into my fitness pal. Um, thankfully we use trainerize. So when I click on the foods that she's logging, I can see, um, what is different, um, composition of her meals. So I can offer some guidance. Well, this day we had 120 grams of fat. We can't do that. Um, it's not good for your digestive process. It's not good for energy performance, et cetera, et cetera. So instead of these foods, let's do these foods and just educating people on healthier options, even if they do have to eat on the go. Um, that's the point, as I mentioned, of tracking macros, that flexible dieting uh, is that you can be out and about and have the knowledge of healthier choices, better options. So just refining those habits and getting them used to inputting something in an app for the first time is really, really big. That's a really cool strategy. I, I'll be honest with you. I've never done that before as far as I, I like the starting with the protein and the total calorie amounts, but then allowing them to kind of have that flexible free reign. Therefore, it's a less stressed out approach to trying to figure things out, especially if they're new. I've never done this before. I think that's an awesome tactic, Destiny. I've never actually considered that before. Now, with some of my other athletes who have experience with doing so, they're easier to work with because they, they, they get right to it and they're fine. But some of the most recent ones that I've had that have been more challenging with that, I think that would be a much, much better tactic that our coaches for 
sure could consider using as a way to get people to just learn about how to track appropriately. Because hell, I remember the first time I started tracking, and maybe it's just because I'm an all or nothing kind of person when it comes to that kind of thing, where I just went all in and <laughs> rice, chicken, ground beef. No fun. <laughs> and so, but because that's, that's one of the biggest challenges of people we work with nowadays, right? It has to taste good. It's got to be fun. All right? I don't want to eat my food if it doesn't taste good. Like I have, I've got a client like that who basically told me, they're just like, I, why, why the hell do I want to eat it? Why wouldn't I want to have supplements all day long to give me what I want? I just want to, I want things to taste good. Why can't I just get, you know, eat sushi eight times a day and just take all my supplements so I don't have any micronutrient deficiencies. And I'm just Honestly, like, I would do that too. So I can't judge. I'm like, I mean, in a perfect world, sure. Right. Uh, but it's yeah. like, but there's such an absence of variety and what you need for overall health there. And it's really hard to communicate to people sometimes when their whole thing is wrapped around comfort and needing to feel good about eating their food and getting that dopamine response where individuals who train and eat for performance, I'm just like, well, shit, yeah, of course I would love beef wellington every day if I had the choice. But at the same time, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm really, really satisfied with just having a cup of quinoa, some ground uh, some ground uh, beef that I actually just got from Butcher Box, by the way, which is awesome. Oh, nice. And uh, – and, and green beans and carrots and, and I love that shit. Like I'm I'm used to it now. To where I'm just I can eat this four times a day and be totally cool. Like, but someone like my father who is just a hardcore Italian, where he critiques his own amazing amazing cuisines that he makes. It's just like he makes the best manicotti and and he made a. My mother is traveling outside of the country right now and he's home by himself and he made mushroom risotto. And I was like, oh, it sounds awesome. And he's like, eh, it was all right. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> just, you're so out of your yeah. mind. <laughs> so, but so what do you usually talk? So, for example, if a client ever tells you that to where they have trouble with those types of things where it has to taste good, what has been your approaches to working with those individuals? Because that's a big adherence challenge we run into as coaches, especially at the beginning of someone's weight loss journey. So I've got a few different um, avenues that I might take. Um, no matter what, I always reinforce the idea that food is fuel. Few, food is not a treat. Food is required for health, performance, um, Food can be tasty and you should enjoy eating, but that is not our primary reason for eating. We are not eating for pleasure. We are eating to allow our bodies to function properly and uh, show up for us. Um, the second thing that I say is your food doesn't have to taste boring. If your food is boring, you probably need to uh, brush up on some cooking skills, get some seasonings, get some sauces, um, have a little bit of creativity because right. I can take chicken and rice and I can do 15 different things with it. I can cook it different ways. I can season it different ways. I can use different um, toppings, different vegetables, different seasonings, different sauces. It doesn't have to be the same. So as far as like when my clients are preparing their foods, I'm like, hey, just make it uh, salt, pepper, garlic, salt. And then throughout the week, as you want to have different flavors, you can add different sauces. You can add additional seasonings on top. You can take it in a different direction, but you've got the bases already prepped. You've done the hard work. All you have to do is a little bit extra to make it a complete meal. Um, and then the third thing that I like to mention is that when you have all of this highly palatable, calorically dense food all the time, it's a constant dopamine, dopamine, dopamine stimulus, and it, it wears off. It's not special anymore. So like we were just kind of just exactly. talking about, I would love to eat sushi eight times a day, but after that, after eight times a day, it's not special anymore. So now I need to 
overload. I need something even more flavorful, even more rewarding. So when you have the consistency of um, what might, people might call a boring or a bland diet, a, a diet that's probably going to be rich in whole foods and fuel you properly, um, right. and then you have those extra meals outside of it, those cheat meals, if you will, I hate that term, but like an intuitive eating meal, right. a more calorically dense, flavorful meal, it's so much more enjoyable, more rewarding because you've one, you feel like you've earned it. You were so disciplined that you were uh, allowed to able to have this um, without looking back on any regret. Like, oh, I've been so bad this week. Like, no, I deserve this. It's uh, probably, hopefully, in my plan from my coach. They either gave me a free meal or we have macros that we allocated for it. And then the taste is so much better. Um, so there's a few different perspectives that I think are important there, but mainly the takeaway from that is food is fuel. We do not need to be overly stimulated with highly palatable foods all the time. And if you're putting in the work at home, your food can be good. Absolutely love that destiny. And especially the take on over-consuming highly palatable foods all the time makes that which is normally supposed to be really, really good for you taste absolutely bland. And so and a lot of people don't understand in our society today that man genetically alters these foods to be that much more highly palatable so that you will continue to buy them and, and it makes it that much worse to where when you have a blueberry, you can't taste the beautiful taste that a blueberry can be because you're so used to these high threshold sugar delicious things. And so, and I, you know, I've listened not only my own experience, but listened to other podcasts that talk about the same thing. When they kick that for a while and do nothing but whole foods over time, your taste buds will resensitize to where then you start eating normal foods again. You're just like, oh my gosh, this carrot out of nowhere tastes amazing. And you're like, what the hell? It's like, oh yeah, because your tongue's working the way it needs to now because it's not highly sensitive to the amount of sugar and cheesecake factory that you've been putting it through. Um, And so, and that's why I love my diet the way that I eat now. I love blueberries. I love blackberries for that reason. There's just like, oh my gosh, they're absolutely outstanding. Like you actually start to get a lot of the taste out of various vegetables and foods that you wouldn't otherwise think that would be super bland. And I think you made a good point as well with the preparation of your foods. It's like, it's not that your foods are not tasting great. It's like you are not making them great with the ingredients that you're using to cook. And so like I've been telling people all the time, I'm like, literally go to the aisle at the grocery store and look at all the amazing seasonings you can use that you can make things taste better or make it more novel. Like I, I tell my clients all the time, I'm just like, you can make the same four ingredients amazing and different in so many different ways if you change the modality. If you, instead of doing a protein bowl, you make it a little burrito and you add a carb balanced tortilla in there. And then maybe use a different different sauce or you use a different seasoning or maybe you air fry it this time instead of baking it. I find that baking really isn't that tasty anymore after <laughs> I've done air frying. Um, but there are so many different ways to make things taste better. I think people just aren't putting effort into it, I think, is the, is the big underlying issue of it all. Um, so absolutely love your take on that, Destiny. I've got my uh, seasoning cabinet behind me and it's like just three shelves of all different seasonings. (laughs) Please use them. When I first started, I did nothing but Mrs. Dash. Like that was, that was my, no, well, I, I kicked that habit because I I like salt. And as an athlete and someone who exercises a lot, you need salt. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I've, I love the rotisserie chicken seasoning. I've used that a lot. It's actually really good. Um, I need to find some more. You might have to make some recommendations for me because I've been pretty bland lately. And my my fiance 
It's always like, why do you use Creole on everything? I'm just like, that's good. <laughs> so now that we're into, you know, starting to figure out how we can start to prepare foods, what can most individuals expect to the length of a weight loss journey? And so there's a lot of rules, rules, quote unquote, or, or schools of thought on this as well. And, you know, I've had lots of conversations with John from, from our side of things too, John Dobbs, who is a wonderful clinical nutritionist about this as well. And, and, and I've, research this at back and forth renaissance periodization guys say one thing you know mind pump says another and you know for for the majority of people that i find is how much weight loss can they achieve before stress or physiological issues start to take place and so for most people i find that does tend to happen around week eight through 12, depending on their experience with a weight loss journey. And then that's when we can utilize tools such as brief maintenance periods or whatever we need to do. In your experience, what does that usually look like to you when you're working with your athletes and clients? It's so bio-individual. Everyone has different capacities for weight loss. Everyone has different levels of adherence. Everyone has different activity levels throughout the day. Everyone has different um, metabolic and hormonal histories that will impact these different weight loss factors. Um, So, you know, it's just all over the board. I think it's important to know going into the dieting phase, if your athlete is going to be someone who's going to be more metabolically resistant, someone you have to get a little bit more aggressive with and then pull back for and then get a little bit more aggressive with, or if you can just do a slow and steady deficit um, to where that you're not putting as much stress on the body. Um, But I would say um, if you've set yourself up properly, um, probably around 10 to 14 weeks is when uh, starting to pull um, tools like diet breaks, cardio breaks, um, maybe an intuitive meal here and there, just for the mental relief, as you were talking about, like um, just pulling back, allowing that uh, athlete to um, relock in, refocus, uh, release some of that burnout, give their body a little bit of a rest. Um, But it is going to be very different for everyone. It might take someone four weeks to see a single pound drop. Someone might drop four pounds in the first week. You don't know. Exactly. I, I, I absolutely agree with you. And you, you said it exactly how my colleague, Dr. Lane, says it, who's been on this podcast twice. And, you know, I, I do an EKU podcast with him every week. And one of the first things he said to me when we first met three years ago when it came to this exact topic that he spoke about on this podcast, too, I think, um, was usually you do whatever you need to do until they can no longer physiologically handle it. Because I remember asking him, there was a research study that came out to show the power of diet breaks and how they can be utilized. Um, And there was one approach that specifically took every four weeks, they did a two-week diet break no matter what. And they saw increased amount of fat loss in those individuals versus the individuals that went 12 weeks straight. And so they were trying to figure out, was this an, an actual physiological benefit? Was this a better way to do fat loss? Or was this simply the fact that it was less stressful on the individual to where then they were more likely to adhere to the habits, the principles, and everything they needed to do for weight loss? And so, and the way that he explained it was, it was a little bit of both. You know, it's like, sure, you do give your body that break of not being under that physiological stress because when you're not consuming as many calories, calories, your body is technically under stress. Um, so it's going to affect the various systems of the body. But at the same time, because you're not psychologically as stressed, you can handle it a lot more. So I think it comes down to, once again, an individual. If an individual can 
prioritize delayed gratification, maybe they'll be able to go for a lot longer and see success in those 10 to 14 weeks. Was That's how I've been in my past when I've had a coach take me through and I had no problems with that. But like with issues that you and I see all the time with people that have weight loss resistance, that have issues, who travel, all right, who can't seem to stop drinking beer. It just makes it, makes it so difficult to where what you would think would be a, in a perfect world, 12 or 16 weeks, ends up being a six-month eight-month journey sometimes. Um, and when I think back to my first time ever, it was actually a six-month, eight-month journey with my coach poking and prodding me before I had any real knowledge of the science of the situation. Yeah, it's it just depends on so many different factors that I hate when people ask, well, how long should I diet for? I'm like, I don't know. We're, we're going to find out. We're going to F around and find out. <laughs> how else do you find out? Let's <laughs> <F> around. <laughs> so, I love that. <laughs> and to, I think that's... It's a life lesson, I think, Destiny, too. <laughs> it's how I live my life. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, we talked about that. So I teach a, a coaching leadership class, and we were talking about habitudes. Um, and one in particular was when it comes to, you know, the amount of talent that you have, how often are you reliant on your actual skills or how often are you winging it? And you, you have this scale of one to 10. I'm just like, you know, I think that applies to various times and various aspects of your life where you're just like, oh, I got this. And then other times you're like, I don't got this, but I'm going for it. <laughs> I've got the supreme confidence that I can figure it out at some point. <laughs> But then that's how you learn, right? And I think for a lot of our clients that we work with, it's just, guys, you don't have the experience. Let's go through it. This is how you learn. This is how you learn life lessons so that you can make these permanent changes. And I think people are expecting to lose their weight and never have to diet again. But I think they have this, they need to have this rude awakening. It's like, no, like you have to maintain these habits for the rest of your life in a healthy way if you want to have healthy maintenance of your body weight. And I think is what, and this is, we can go on now into the coaching perspective on this. Coaches need to do a good job of communicating that. Like, hey, like you're going through this weight loss period. You're paying for this. Don't look at this as a, I'm doing this to get in shape for my wedding or I'm doing this to, you know, fit into this dress or get ready to look good in Florida on a boat. It's like, I'm doing this because I want to be healthy and fit for the rest of my life. Like you have to, you have to be able to communicate that message, which I think our coaches want to do, but just sometimes need to figure out how to communicate that the right way to certain people. What, what do you run into? Cause I know you work with a lot of competitors and that might look a little different. Um, but how is, what is your approach to working with people and trying to communicate that message to them? Uh, one thing, um, when we onboard our athletes that I pretty much tell just about every athlete is, uh, you are very likely not going to reach your, uh, ideal body image goal in your first dieting phase, first time ever. Um, and even once you do get there, you're going to want something else because that is the, both the beauty and the curse of uh, trying to build a physique is that once you reach the top of that mountain, well, the next one's right out in the distance and you've already, it, it's a cool process. It's a little bit frustrating because it's like, you're never satisfied, but once you do get to that place where you're comfortable, you've proven to yourself that you can stick to a diet, you can stick to a training plan and you can get X results. So now you're going to take those skills and you want more results. You want to refine, you want to fine tune. That, that's especially true with a competitor, especially a competitor that has a lot to lose prior before they get to stage. You can't, if someone has 40 pounds to lose. You can't, you shouldn't, in my opinion, do that in one dieting phase. Um, you're going to be dieting for probably close to a year. And by that time you are physically, emotionally, hormonally downregulated. You are not performing optimally. Optimally. It's just not efficient. Um, so there's often a prep before a prep. Um, there's often an initial fat loss phase where we 
just hammer it away. We try and get off as much as possible. Then we reverse you up for however long we need to. And then we, through that reverse, we maintain a positive body composition um, so that we can start your actual prep phase. However many prep before the preps that takes, um, but actually start your prep phase at a place where we can put you in maybe a 16 to 20 week prep. That's not going to absolutely dig you into the ground and crush your soul. <laughs> I love the way you worded that, <laughs> crushing your soul. Um, but I absolutely agree with you on that approach. Um, just to when we work with people at that beginning to understand that, hey, this, this is going to take some time. And to look at this as a journey that you're working on day in and day out is what is. I think we really need to start communicating with people. Mm-hmm. So let's segue a little bit now. And so now that we've we've had all the hard discussions, we've taken them through maintenance. Well, we haven't had all the hard discussions. There's a hard discussion every week. <laughs> we, we've got the we've got the structure in place now. Now let's talk about how we approach training. Let's talk how we approach um, living everyday life and overall recovery when it comes to ensuring that people get the most out of their weight loss journeys. And I think the first place to start is training. And I have my own thoughts on this and. This is I've, I've taken this as, as big from others as well, and so on. But I'm, I'm literally looking forward to hearing your thoughts on when your weight loss phase is undergoing. You don't change the way you train. You still want to train the way that you are trying to build um, to make sure that you're continuing to send that strong signal. In your experience, what is your training approach when you're coaching uh, uh, individuals through their weight loss journey? Very similar. Um- I like to say what built the muscle is going to keep the muscle. There's no need to, the second you lower calories, switch to, all right, low weight, high rep, need to just do some pump work. That, that's not, it's not going to uh, aid you in any way. Um, the higher intensity and um, the longer you can keep your training to a particular level, um, the higher your food's going to stay, the fuller your muscles are going to stay. Um, when that initial loss of strength is in my opinion, mostly in the mind, people just think, all right, I'm in a deficit. I'm, I'm weaker now. It's okay. It's an excuse. No, it's not an excuse. If you have body fat, you can push, you have energy until you have no body fat, which most of our athletes are not getting to. You still have energy that can be used. Um, myself personally, um, even when I was still a natural athlete, I would be pushing weight. I would be progressively overloading all of my sets until maybe five, six weeks out because that strength loss is in the mind. And my food, my first bikini show, I got on stage, stage lean, eating 250 grams of carbs a day because I pushed my training so hard for so long that I kept my muscle mass and I was exerting that energy and able to maintain that higher level. And um, especially focusing my... Uh, nutrition around my training, I remove the emotion from my food. I need to fuel my training. I need to give this muscle every reason to stay. So I'm going to make sure that my pre, intra, and post, no matter what, are on point. I could go down to 100 grams of carbs a day. If that's all I got, they're all going around my workout. I absolutely love that. My experience was damn near almost the same. When I first did my first cut with my coach, I instantly thought, I'm going to get weaker through this process. And he's like, the hell you are. He's like, why would you think that? And that's when I really started to learn all about periodization and programming and everything else. And that was 
I, I did a powerlifting approach through my first cut phase, which was different. Um, but I actually got stronger <laughs> than I ever was during my really my big fat loss phase. And I lost at the end of it. I got all the way down. Oh, my gosh. I think I lost a total of almost 42 pounds uh, during my first uh, weight loss phase all those years ago. And I ended up deadlifting 150 pounds more and went from – barely being able to squat 275 to maxing out a 405 on squat. And I was like, what the fuck? How? <laughs> I was like, how did this happen? Um, and it's, you, you, you learn about adaptation and strength is a skill. It's, it's a neurological adaptation where you keep training it, you'll keep it. Um, and so it's, I, I, it was so interesting. And so many people don't understand that with, when it comes to the science behind strength training and what its impact is on the body. And so if people would just see that as oh my gosh this is the secret <laughs> like it's resistance training uh is what's really going to help your overall success in any fitness related journey so i think that's incredible that you went through that yourself i think a lot of people when they think about the low weight high rep they're like well this is going to get my heart rate up this is going to burn calories this is going to burn fat yeah. weight training is not for fat burning cardio is for fat burning dieting is for fat burning Weight training is for maintaining muscle mass, keeping your metabolism high, and building shape. You you need that shape. So another thing that I always um, impress on my athletes is weight training comes first. You do not do cardio prior to lifting. Um, even if you have to do fasted cardio, um, try and train in the evening um, or figure out a different scheduling where you can modify that because we need to give every bit of energy that we can to the training session so that we have that adaptive stimulus to maintain the muscle because the body – has not evolved over time to build muscle. It's evolved over time to store fat and energy in times of scarcity. Guess what? Dieting is a time of scarcity. So the body sees it's not getting enough food in and it says, well, this muscle is metabolically expensive for me to maintain. It needs a lot of work. I'm going to get rid of it. And by down-regulating um, your muscle mass, you're also down-regulating your metabolism. So that's how you get that skinny fat look. And no one wants to be skinny fat. Everyone wants to be what people like to call as toned. You want to have those full muscles. You want to see those lines, have that nice definition. You're not going to have any definition if you don't have any muscle. Put perfectly. I absolutely love that take on it. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget what I've heard friends say as well. He's like, you have to send the signal with strength training. If you're not sending the signal, that's not going to happen. And this is a perfect segue into utilizing cardiovascular training when it comes to doing weight loss journeys. And people get it so ass backwards. And, the, you know, I... I've evolved in my approach with cardiovascular training over the years just because I know what to do as a fitness coach. But then I've also got the exercise scientist who's like, you need cardio for health. And it's like, OK, shit. Well, how do we mix the both both worlds here? and still be able to get the most, the best results. And so like my, my fitness coach inside of me says, don't do cardio until you absolutely have to, to lose weight. But then I've got my exercise scientist that says we should do at least a few sessions per week for our aerobic capacity. And so, and if I were to be the absolute smartest coach here and do what's best for my athlete, I would want them to be able to have the energy and resilience to be able to get through those hard sessions, to be able to get through the grueling stress that sometimes a weight loss journey can be. And doing cardiovascular training properly can only help in that arena. What is your approach to cardiovascular training and individuals' weight loss journeys? As a general rule, um, I never remove cardiovascular training. Um, 
unless this person is, has a highly active lifestyle, like they play like pickleball or they go hiking on the weekends and that sort of scenario, I won't program um, cardio, but outside of someone who is very active, my athletes always have cardio in year round, whether we're dieting or not, it, because it is so good for cardiovascular health and endurance while you're training. Um, so as that baseline, I'll generally do about 60 minutes a week on top of the expectation that they're probably working out at least three times a week for 30 minutes, getting their full 150 minutes of recommended um, weekly expenditure in. And then from there, um, depending on where the athlete is metabolically, if we have a lot of calories to play with, I'm going to pull food down first because a lot of my um, athletes are very busy. They don't necessarily have a ton of time to spend on a treadmill. If we have some levers to pull with food, let's do that first. Let's see how your body responds before we adjust any other variables. And then um, using cardio as a tool, like, okay, if we're starting to run through food too quickly, that's when I'm going to up your cardio. I'm also going to up your knee. I'm going to up your steps. And one thing that I always impress upon people is meet your steps and your cardio are separate. I don't care if you're getting your steps on your treadmill, wear your watch. But if you're doing planned cardio, do not wear your fitness tracker. Do not wear your watch because these are separate levers that I need to pull. Mm -hmm. And yeah. if I give you a 10,000 um, 10, step goal daily and you're doing your cardio in that, you're not actually doing cardio. You're just getting 10,000 steps. I need to know what your separate individual variables are at. You did 30 minutes of cardio, took your watch off, and you still got 10,000 steps. So when I increase your step count, I actually know that I'm overloading you from a fat loss perspective. You're going to have more expenditure instead of just including that cardio in there. Because if I increase your step goal and I increase your cardio and you count them together, what are we really accomplishing here? Per oh, gosh, you, you just preached to the choir. <laughs> and I absolutely love how you discern between the two because I've had that conversation with individuals that I've worked with in the past. And I, had, I, I was working with an old mentor of mine. Um, she's family to me. And I was trying to get her to do the same because she was struggling with weight loss. But she was telling me, she's like, well, Chris, I, I get you know all my steps in every day. I'm just like, yes, but how much cardiovascular training she's doing? Well, I'm training for my marathon. So I've got like you know, six miles a day. I'm like, oh my God, take off your watch. <laughs> just we can actually see what the normal amount of steps that you're getting. And I love how Dr. Mike Isertel talks about it too. If you watch any podcast with him at all, when he's, he's, he's one of the coaches in Renaissance Periodization. For those who don't know Mike, I, I love Dr. Isertel. Uh, my, my faculty mentor and colleague here at EKU, Dr. Lane, who's been on this podcast, knows Mike Isertel personally. And so, and I've also had the pleasure of meeting Dr. Andy Galp. And, and he's awesome too. And they all say the same thing. They're just like, you know, the reason why steps works so well is because it has a low stimulus to fatigue ratio, which is what Isratel coined himself. He, he, he gave it that term to where if you do too much cardiovascular training throughout the week, it's not so much that it you become efficient and that it it no longer does what it needs to do. It's that you do so much of it that it has a negative impact on your strength training performance. And that's the issue. You're and if you're doing so much that you can't recover from that, then that's why you have to do more and more and more and more and more to get the weight loss. However, you can do 
thousands of steps a day and you can easily recover from that um, compared to doing that amount of cardio. And when you actually look at the differences between the expenditure rate of running versus walking throughout the course of time, it's not all that much different to where you don't have to walk that much more in order to really get to that point and you can recover so much faster from it. And so it's not the worst idea in the world to say, okay, we're just going to increase steps from here and we're just going to go from 8,000 to 10,000 to 12,000 to 14 and this is how we're going to make that happen. Um, and so and I think people just need to see how much a benefit walking <laughs> really is if they got strategic and how they put it into their day. You can walk your way to being healthy. It is so underrated and not to mention the um, extra benefits of getting outside, getting vitamin D, um, getting some fresh air um, for the physical, the mental, your energy. Um, it, we don't spend enough time outside as humans. So while um, not everyone has the ability to do that based on their climate, based on their day, if you have the time in your day to get outside and take a walk, do it. Start your day off with it. Get sunshine in your eyes. Regulate your circadian rhythm. Regulate your cortisol patterns. It is so, so beneficial. One of the best things, and it's just it's just relaxing, <laughs> just to go on a walk and not to have a phone in your hand and not to have all these things going. And then that that's a whole nother talk for a different day on its exposure to neurological systems. Um, but it is absolutely one of the most effective methods to really get people to get their energy levels high. Because if I've learned anything in my experience with most people, the individuals who do awesome at Evolve when it comes to weight loss, they're walking. They, they get their 10,000 steps a day and they're consistent with it versus those who don't, who aren't as consistent with their weight loss. Their energy levels are below 3,000 steps, 4,000 steps, maybe lucky to get five. And I'm like, it's, it's all energy expenditure. So now that we've talked about our approaches to training, let's talk a little bit about recovery. All right. As we start to get closer to uh, wrapping things up here in a bit. Sleep is going to be one of those biggest, biggest important things. Um, it's You can talk about doing things like sauna and cold plunges and all these things all day long, but if they're not getting enough sleep at night, it's going to be so detrimental to their immune system, weight loss in general. And so I know my take on it. What is your approach when you're working with individuals on, on how to get the right type of recovery tactics in? Um, what I always like to tell my athletes is you don't grow in the gym. You only grow from what you recover from. So if we're not prioritizing recovery, if you are sore for multiple days at a time, if you're not getting um, a minimum, minimum six hours of high quality sleep every night, if you are not eating for your recovery, if you're not getting enough protein, what we're doing here is almost useless because you are not giving your body the rest and digest the tools it needs to recover and repair and allow you to come back stronger, build that adaptation, um, respond to that stimulus. And uh, very likely you're getting yourself into a recovery hole where the body says there, it's not recovery anymore. It's like injury prevention, tissue damage, reparation. We're not adapting for performance. We're just trying to survive at this point. We're trying to get back to homeostasis. So you're um, really shooting yourself in the foot by either A, overtraining and not allowing uh, your recovery to match, or B, doing a normal amount of training, but your self-care recovery routine is just so poor that your body isn't able to keep up with what you're demanding from it. 
A hundred percent agree. And it's just uh, oftentimes I find it's when, especially when it comes to sleep is people just, they aren't giving themselves enough time to do so. Um, is a big thing that I've been running into lately. It's like, well, I'm doing everything right. And I'm going to bed at a certain time. It's like, yes, but you're only giving yourself a seven hour window and you're only getting six hours of sleep. You might be someone who needs seven, seven and a half, eight oftentimes. And, you know, I've, I've done this. I've, you know, you can say all day long, the general recommendations from the CDC are seven to nine. That's what I teach. But if you're especially individuals who do more physical activity than others, you're going to need more than that. And so it's not uncommon to see athletes. You know, I've seen some of the athletes I follow on Instagram, they, they need nine hours of sleep. They give themselves like a nine hour time in bed window. I'm like, holy crap, like that's amazing. And so just experimenting on myself. It's like I would love to get nine hours a night. It's like just experimenting with myself. It's like comparing and contrasting when I get only six hours a night compared to when I try to actually get closer to that eight. It is an absolute night and day difference in how I feel. And so it's because I just I was recently sick about a week ago, and that's when I was getting up a little too early, but also staying up late. And so and trying to get all my exercise in, I ran my immune system into the ground. I got sick real quick, um, and I was only getting five and a half, six hours of sleep a night. As soon as I extended that to eight hours in bed, oh my God, it felt like a completely new person. Um, and so people really need to take the sleep thing seriously. You know, as, as you know, don't sleep when you're dead, all right? Or you'll die sooner. <laughs> it should be the new way that they put that. How much sleep do you get a night, especially being a bodybuilder and being professional in the IFPB and everything else? What, how much time do you carve out to actually be in bed? I'm non-functional with less than eight hours. I'm useless. <laughs> so um, I I would say seven and a half to nine every night. Um, there's obviously times that it's less, but consistently at least seven and a half. Um, I do have the luxury of um, more or less having a flexible schedule. Um, so... I'm able to kind of stay in bed. And then if I have to, I can just crawl right over to my computer, bring it in bed. I don't have that commute. I don't have any kids to take care of. Um, so young, single, work from home. I do have that luxury of kind of dictating how much sleep I get, which I'm very grateful for. Yep. And so, and it's like a lot of our listeners and people who work with that evolve have families. They've got all these jobs and everything. And I think it's becomes, it does become challenging. And so, and that's for everything fitting time in for stress management, time to train, time to do the cardio, time for everything else. Now that we, now that I want to end with this as we, as we get to, there's so much more we could talk about the weight loss journey. And I think we're going to have you back again to do part two of this, um, because there is so much we can talk about, but let's talk about adherence strategies now. It's like, what are the main things that you will coach your clients on as far as here's how we can be successful in this weight loss journey when you are this average individual who has kids, who has a demanding job, or just simply has scheduling issues? What are some of the main key points you try to teach your clients to in, in, install into their lifestyle so they can be successful in their weight loss journey? I'd say my number one piece of advice that pretty much applies to everyone is give 100% every single day. But that 100% isn't going to look the same every single day based on whatever bandwidth or capacity you have. So as long as you know that you are showing up for yourself and making those good choices, um, you're going to see progress. Uh, it's it, when we start making excuses that our schedule impacts um, 
our progress that we start to fall off. And that's a, a physical fall off with the progress and also a mental f- fall off with your belief in yourself and your ability to reach this goal, which then kind of snowballs into, I can't do anything right. I didn't have time for this. And then you're going to build that all or nothing mentality. So just making sure that um, people are conscious of the choices that they make, even if they're not putting everything into the app, even if they're not able to get a full gym session in, did you do everything that you could do for that day to take at least one step forward? It doesn't need to be a leap. It doesn't need to be a bound. If you are just making conscious choices every day that are going to get you towards your ultimate goal, you are going to see progress. I 100% agree with you on that because it's it's that intention is what's going to make sure that you are prioritizing what you need to to be successful. It's like you're you're, you're your life is in your own hands. It's like you make the choices. It's like, yes, you have excuses. You have these things going on. But at the end of the day, what are you doing with it? And so I, I, I have a friend who I used to coach with as well. And, you know, I was asking him. He's got two kids now. He's got one on the way. He's an online coach himself. And, you know, I was talking to him. And I'm just like, you know, how do you make your time to get your stuff in? Because, you know, I was going through a time where I was trying to figure out. And he's just like, dude, he's like, well, I had to, I had to start getting up sometimes at 2 a.m. He's in order to get my workouts in. He's like, I don't do it anymore. Thank God. But he was literally at that point where he told himself, hey, this is how I got to get it done. So this is what I'm going to do. And so he got up at 2 a.m., got his workout in, took care of the baby, giving them the bottle, and then would switch places with his wife. And then he'd get right back to work. And then he would do his schedule that way and he would just go to bed earlier. But I was like, wow. That's that's some dedication right there. It's like you gotta do what you gotta do. If it's important if it's important enough to you, you'll make it happen. Now that is an extreme example, but that that's what separates those who get it done versus who don't. And so and you've gotta make you gotta be willing. And rather than make the excuse, I have kids, just say, No, it's just not important enough to you. It's like I've seen moms and dads who make it work. You just how much effort are you putting into making it work? It just isn't that important to you. Um and so and that's at the end of the day, I think what we have to really do a better job as coaches to communicate and then offer strategies. Hey, sure, you've got kids, you've got a job, let's figure out what we can do with the time you have. Um, and I think, and exactly as you just said, and, you know, Dr. Galpin said this as well. He's just like, you know, a good thing for coaches to do is to help them utilize what they have. Okay. If they can't get cardiovascular training, 150 minutes of moderate intensity per week, find where they do have time to do it and just do that. You know, maybe they don't have time for six strength training sessions a week. Maybe they have time for two, maybe they have time for three. And then just, emphasize those as best as you possibly can make those absolutely killer and then have them be consistent with that because as long as they're consistent with it week after week after week it's a hell of a lot better than nothing every week and so and they'll make some sort of progress and i was like that is actually a brilliant perspective on what direction to go any last key thoughts you have for today destiny i'm actually i just thought of the title for this podcast this is going to be the weight loss journey with destiny volume one we're going to get you back in a few weeks to do volume two because there are so many things that we could talk about um, that I really want to dive into when it comes to the coaching perspective on the weight loss journey. Um, but what are some last takeaways that you could have for today with this episode as people are engaging on their weight loss journeys? Uh, weight loss is an investment. Uh, you have to spend some time being uncomfortable, whether that be in the reverse diet phase, building up to it or the dieting phase within it um, to reach your goals. No one ever got great staying within their comfort zone. So if you have big goals for yourself, if you want to see yourself achieve something, it's going to take uh, dedication and effort and you're going to have to get a little bit uncomfortable, but it will be worth it. 
Absolutely agree with you, Destiny, and I love that as well. For all of our listeners out there, this is only part one. And when we come back in a few weeks to do volume two, we're going to talk about getting more advanced into nutritional approaches, talk about some cool things like carb cycling, and talk about little some fun things we can talk about, maybe even specific training methods, um, and then what to do when you hit plateaus. Well, we'll talk a lot about injury prevention as well, so look forward to that coming in the future. Um, as always, Destiny, thank you so much. I absolutely love working with you. It's been a pleasure getting to know you this past year. I can't believe you've been with us that's almost that long already. Absolutely yeah. incredible. Um, it's, been, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, for all those listening, make sure that you guys uh, click on the link in the, in the description below. You could win a free month of coaching if you are chosen and you post this episode onto your Instagram story. Make sure you continue to spread the word and visit all of our pages at Evolve where we put out new information each and every day on how to be the best version of yourself. This has been Coach P and I'll see you in the next one. We're out of here. If you like today's episode, please be sure to drop a like, share it with all your friends, and give us a great review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to work with the best in the business, please be sure to head over to all of our social media webpages at Evolve Health and Performance. Us at Evolve are trying to make you the best athlete of all time and realize your full potential. Stay tuned for all future episodes where we bring you the best guests and features for everything health, fitness, and wellness. For everything Evolve, stay tuned. Coach P's out.